So I wanted to offer some uh, thoughts tonight on um, working with mind states, working with karmic patterns and habits. This can be a torment <laughs> in practice, <laughs> sheer torment. <laughs> you know, because we, we, we're, we're given this very simple instruction. You know, you've, you've got uh, um, uh, just the, the, the guidance to be calm, relax, settle down, and pay attention to what's happening and try to keep that awareness in the present moment and to stay with it. It's, just, it's a simple enough instruction, <laughs> you know, but then trying to do it, is, you know, brings us up against all kinds of energies and habits and patterns uh, to the contrary. So that the tendency is to just constantly be preoccupied with the body and mind, sensations, feelings, and thoughts, caught up in what's going on at these levels. And so, so that, they, that experience of being caught up in what's going on dominates. And the simple reality of sitting here, breathing, and knowing that you're breathing can escape us completely, or walking about throughout the day and not being able to, to be in what the simple experience that's going on. And this is what the Buddha calls suffering <laughs> in his teachings. And, and he breaks it down for us. He shows us in so many of the teachings how it's happening, how we can untangle it and see that progression of how it's happening for ourselves. And, and he guides us in, in the direction of getting free of that. I mean, this is what the noble truths are about, seeing the craving, that's the grasping, all, uh, all of the experiences of the body and mind, and reversing that, learning what it takes to, to let that go, to, to find a new way of being. And, and so uh, one of the things I love about the Buddha is that he addresses these, uh, this from many different angles, um, and, and uh, hopefully we'll get it through one of these teachings. You know, that, that seems to be the idea, just a very skilled teacher, uh, and coming at it in ways that maybe one, one way we'll hear it. I remember one time, a long time ago, when I, one of the first trips to the monastery, I, I asked one of the monks, well, why do we bow three times? You know, what's that about? And, and uh, of course, I learned later that it was Buddha Dhamma Sangha, you know. But his response was, uh, you know, jokingly, he said that, uh, well, you got three chances <laughs> to try to connect with this feeling of giving yourself over, of surrendering, of letting go. And maybe, just if you get lucky, hopefully you'll, you'll nail it on at least one of those chances. And to me, this is, this is a great little metaphor for um, why the Buddha comes at freedom uh, and liberation from so many different angles. You know, each of our minds works so differently. Don't you find that? And, and uh, one particular angle is going to speak to you where another is going to speak to me, or it's going to speak to you at one time and not at another time. And so this is what he does. And there's so much in it. That's why many of the people that we, we hang out with have, have, um, have been interested in teachings and studying teachings for many, many years. There's so much to learn, so much to understand. And um, just for example, you know, one of the, the teachings, uh, the, the teaching of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, for example, it, it acknowledges, among other things, that there is feeling. That as, as human beings, you know, you get born and this is part of the capacity of being a human being. This system feels. It experiences pleasure, pain, and, and neither. And, and the, in this teaching, the Buddha is encouraging us to be aware of that. And, and as we train and try to see feeling just as feeling, just to uh, freeze frame that or narrow the scope enough to be aware 
of um, feeling as, as just that much, then uh, what it does is you begin to notice through that process how it's very, it's kind of elusive and how it, the mind just tends to always want to be doing something with that. You know, it, and so uh, the, the various forms that that takes is that um, you know, the, the pleasant feeling very uh, quickly escalates into um, a, a kind of a wanting and a longing and the painful feeling escalates into an aversion or resistance or contraction, whereas that the feeling of neither pleasure uh, nor pain becomes a way of checking out. And so this is what we're actually observing as we practice here together at the Forest Refuge, you know. Uh, you, you have no uh, uh, limit to how many ways that you can see the, the mind doing this throughout the course of the day. So like some, some people are reporting you know, how they're watching this at mealtime. You know, you, how, what's offered uh, at mealtime is perceived as, as pleasant and how quickly that becomes an experience of wanting it more and even going to the extent of overeating. Or we get frustrated with not being able to keep the mind focused or not being able to see things clearly. And so the, the, it gives rise to a certain irritation in the mind. And, and this very quickly becomes self-criticism and even defeatism. <laughs> you know, this is that progression that's constantly happening and in ways that we're observing it, in the ways that we're um, um, going about throughout the day, the things that we're doing. Or the experience of just having very little stimulation Somebody was commenting recently how quiet it is in here <laughs> and just wanting to go running out, you know, do something, get something, buy something, eat something, you know, whatever. It's so quiet and so still. And, and so this, this can very easily, a lot of people have the experience in this kind of stillness of, of sort of lagging into drifty and dreamy states, you know, and sleeping too much or, or um, just kind of uh, checking out. In, in very subtle and coarse ways. You know, we all go through this. And I think it's very important that we're honest about it. And this is, this is actually what the Buddha is pointing to. These are actually the things that we want to see. So we better be honest about it. We better name it and know that this is what's happening. And so, so similarly, like with the, the, the teaching on dependent origination, the Buddha is really very much describing the same thing. You know, he's just putting it in a slightly different uh, language where he's talking about, so you got that, you, you've got the feeling of pleasure, pain, and neither that comes with contact. But then very easily, um, if we don't see that, there's, uh, there's craving. And the craving quickly becomes clinging. And the clinging be- is, moves into becoming. And then you've got this whole mass of suffering, you know, where the, the, the sense of um, knowing what's happening is lost. We're just in it. <laughs> We've just completely become it. And, uh, and it happens so fast, we don't even see it happen, <laughs> let alone um, have a, the opportunity to intercept it or, or handle it in, in any way. So we, we get caught up in this complex of, of painful states uh, very quickly before we even know it. And uh, often, I know, you know, for myself, so it's certainly still the case, definitely the case through the years in practice, that one only can, can see that process after you found yourself completely caught. <laughs> and then it's almost like the mind has to take a, a moment and sort of backtrack and see, how did I get here? What happened? You know, it's mine and my own business, and all of a sudden I'm in a state, you know. <laughs> what happened? How did, it, how did it happen? And we sort of retrace our steps and 
begin to see how it is that, that we got caught up. And I'm sure if we went around the room, we'd all have very interesting stories <laughs> about uh, practice and, and um, just being lost in fantasies and vendettas and things like this. I remember one time, one of my first retreats, I, I really spent much of the time during that retreat hating somebody because she, she had uh, fancy shoes. <laughs> I used to go looking for her. I thought she was very dressed very inappropriately for a meditation hall. <laughs> and I would actually go looking for her so I could hate her, you know. <laughs> it was amazing. But, you know, the whole time this is going on and on and on. And yeah, a little bit of you might go, oh, come on, stop it. You're driving me nuts. But uh, uh, still, the state will be very strong. You can't, uh, you can't, can't resist. We, we become these states. So, you know, when we enjoy um, pleasant or difficult states in practice, what often happens is we just give them too much weight. They begin to dominate uh, in a very short order. So the Buddha is putting a lot of emphasis on on being aware of the experience of pleasure and pain and neither, so that we can get in there, so that we can get a wedge in there and and just uh, endeavor to learn to leave it at that. I mean, that's a huge practice right there. This is open to the experience of pleasure and not want more. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense to the unawakened mind. You know, open to the experience of pain and not try to get rid of it. You know, just acknowledge that this is the way it is sometimes. Not that we don't take care, you know. Uh, these kinds of things. But that, this is what he's saying. You know, opening to, to feeling so that, um, in a way, this is one of the cheap ways that you actually short-circuit these tendencies to move into the uh, more difficult, more painful, and, and karmically weighty states. You know, you get up a full head of steam of aversion. That's some heavy stuff. So we want to do that. And this is a major, major part of our practice. But you know, it has to be said, let's be honest, it's just not always the case that you can do it. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> I certainly can't. And, and so um, often we're coming in on experience long after we've been in it for a while and uh, long after we've been caught up. Uh, this, this is the power of the sankharas, the moods, the mind states. They, they take over, they dominate. And uh, that's our practice, is to begin to, to acknowledge that, to, to see it. And uh, much of the time, we really don't even see feeling, let alone that we grabbed it, <laughs> let alone uh, that we've been in a mind state for the last 10 or 15 minutes. So the practice is just learning about how all this happens. And slowly, through the months and years of, of, of our, our training, uh, getting a handle on this, becoming somewhat proficient so that uh, these states don't dominate. You actually have a leg up in, in, uh, in dealing with them. So for, uh, first of all, I just want to uh, do a little aside at first, because when we start talking about sankharas, our karma, our patterns, our habits of mind, you know, the, the tendency is to feel a little bit heavy and burdened by all this, because actually the tendency when we talk about karmic patterns is to only think of, about them as unskillful ones, you know. But there's a lot of skillful karmic uh, patterns and habits that are very much operating in, in all of us. And um, 
we, we want to know that as well. So it's not all bad news. You know, there's a, there's a lot of really good news. We want to be able to, to, to train the mind to, be, to see both of these. You know, it's interesting that in the third foundation of mindfulness where the Buddha is talking about uh, mind states, he's not making a distinction between skillful and unskillful ones. You know, just the language is very clear. See the mind filled with greed. See the mind that has no greed. You know, you want to see, be able to, to see both of these with the, the same uh, kind of um, quality and capacity. So uh, I think this is uh, easy to forget in, in our practice. We want to become proficient to, of seeing both. And it behooves us, really, to pay attention to skillful states when they're happening. Because there's a way that um, being in a skillful state certainly is very pleasant, and it lightens the heart. <laughs> it makes the heart happy. It, it, it has a feeling of being less personal even than the dense, heavy, difficult states. Uh, and, and this quality of being glad, a gladness in the heart, is, is huge. It's a great support for practice. You know, we, we've got to find ways to soften around all of this. So if it we're only uh, following this tendency to look at what's wrong, what's difficult, what's off, then um, you get heavy-hearted you know, in practice. It gets very thick and, and, and very, very difficult. You know, I went over to the retreat center this morning um, to have breakfast with uh, the monastics who are teaching a retreat over there. And uh, uh, Ajahn Sachito and I were, were talking about... Um, just kind of musing about how inspiring it is to be at these centers and uh, to, to hang out with people whose uh, faith and determination and their aspiration is so great. You know, and he was saying, he was looking at the statistics for that course and uh, he noticed that um, more, the, the vast majority of participants in the monastic retreat right now are, um, are over 60. <laughs> And we were going, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty far out because, I mean, these are not newbies. <laughs> these are people who have been at it for a long time and are still hanging in there. It's like the ever-ready bunny, you know, just coming back for more, still, still doing it, still going, still going, still going, you know. And then even, even the young'uns, even the, the newbies and, and, and younger um, generation that's coming to it, you know, many of those, he was saying, had um, families, complicated uh, work situations, uh, uh, juggling all kinds of things to be able to eke out the 10 days to come and, and do a retreat like this. And, and I don't know, we were just sitting, I was getting, I'm getting goosebumps now, just uh, thinking about it, just feeling um, the depth of uh, determination and stick to that is so uh, prevalent among the people who, who come and, and try to practice in this way. This is very skillful karma bearing fruit. And we have to uh, know this. We want to we take that in. be very important to, to remember it and to notice it, to, to feel it. And, you know, there's also just this growing sense of mindfulness. You may not feel it sometimes. You know, so many times we can feel like we're, we're out to lunch, but, uh, and we can be quick to complain because we're not able to notice things like we'd like to. But, but come on, we, we keep remembering to remember. <laughs> I mean, isn't that amazing? 
I, I'm, just, I'm just amazed by, the, especially some of the things I've seen in my mind, that it still has that capacity. You know? That it still keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. This is highly conditioned, um, skillful uh, state of mindfulness, returning over and over and over again, because we've done it before, and we soak in it when we do it, and it gets conditioned, you know? It's beautiful stuff. I was, I was just no- noticing recently, um, for example, that I was in a conversation with somebody, and I just began to notice that I was really listening to them. <laughs> and, and, and I was so completely present and so tuned in to, to what they were saying. Um, and, you know, you may have noticed that, that, that the usual tendency for the mind uh, the unawakened mind, anyway, in conversations is to be relating to what people are saying, to associate, to, to think about what you want to say about what they're saying, you know, or to be going over something else in your mind that has nothing to do with the conversation, or to be commenting internally about them and what you think about them, all this kind of stuff. Do you ever notice that? It's like, so, so you end up having this experience in conversations of, of sort of being um, half here and, and half not. You know, you're, like, you're partly listening, but uh, partly preoccupied. This is the, the sanya khanda, the perception khanda. It's very active. It, it associates, it relates, it remembers, and very, very strong tendency in the mind. And so the, the habit to be caught up in that is great. But the effect of it is that we're not here for each other. <laughs> We're not listening, you know, to each other in, in the way that um, we would like to. But, but this particular time, uh, it, was, it was really beautiful to watch. It, it seemed to be suspended for a little mind. You know, my mind wasn't grasping thoughts. There weren't that many even coming up. And uh, nothing was taking me away from listening and being here for this person that I, that I, I was talking to. You know, it was lovely. <laughs> very, very interesting. It just seemed to want to stay put. And, and to be honest, a, a few minutes later, I actually had the thought, well, this is actually one of the blessings of old age. <laughs> you know, the older I get, it's like the energy level is just going, you know, and so literally one has less and less energy to even pick up on your own thoughts, <laughs> your, your own habits and patterns, you know. And it's, if you, if you, thank goodness if you live long enough, uh, the practice does get a little easier just because of this factor of, uh, of not being able to, 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 to do it, to, to, to grab, to grasp and cling and hold on like you, like you used to. So, so part of it is that, I want to be honest. Part of it is my mind is just not working the same way it used to, you know. But, but a good part of it, was um, just being acknowledged as, you know, this is a fruit. This is a fruit of practice. And I remember just sitting there going, mm, God, this is great. <laughs> you know, this, this Buddha, he really nailed it. And, you know, this, it's working. I'm here more. Yeah? And we need, I know you've, you know this. And we need to know, to, to feel that, to, to tune into these feelings. Notice these skillful sankharas and, and dare to just hold it a moment. Be, take it in. 
This is what the Buddha is pointing to. It's possible to be here with this kind of calm and presence of mind, even if only for a few minutes, but it's, it's there. So this is good stuff, and you know, we need to remember um, just to notice our, our skillful karma and, and celebrate it. As I said, it softens the heart. It makes the difficult states a lot easier to bear. And this is, this is important. But then there are these blind spots and these persnickety patterns that just won't give up, <laughs> won't go away. And some of them can be quite strong and some of them are very, very deeply entrenched. So, so just as an example, I was talking to somebody, I do a lot of um, telephone interviews and I was talking to somebody a few weeks back and... Um, he really wanted help with this particular concern. He, he kept um, comparing himself to somebody else in his life. And, um, you know, he was, uh, the, the, the upshot of it was that in this comparing, he was coming up on the short end of the stick, you know. And, and he was basically saying that, that, that by comparison to this person, he wasn't living a very worthy life. He wasn't li- living... Uh, the kind of life that he wanted to, a meaningful life. And he wanted to talk about that. He wanted to talk about how to change his life so that he could uh, do that, so that he could live more the way that, that he wanted to. And basically, I think, I was getting the feeling like he wanted me to tell him what to do, <laughs> you know, how to, how to do that. And, and certainly, I mean, this is interesting stuff because, you know, you want to listen. And certainly, um, sometimes when these... Uh, concerns come up into the mind, we do want to listen to them. Maybe he's being slothful and finally admitting it, you know, or maybe um, it's it's the case that he's not following his aspiration. He wants to be able to find a way to lift himself up into that a little bit more. So one wants to be aware of that. And and, and I remember um, telling him, I I said, okay, well, that's, you know, we can... We can talk about that. We'll talk about that later. But first, what I'm interested in, what I'm hearing and seeing, is this comparing and, and this, this uh, way of um, relating to what you're witnessing in the world and seeing that um, and, and concluding that you're not worthy, <laughs> that you're not good enough, that your life isn't being lived well enough. You know, you're not going in the right direction. That, that's the thing that's getting my attention. And, and, I, and I asked him, well, what about it? What about the comparing mind? What about the mind that thinks it's less than? That it's not good enough? Are you seeing that? You know? Let's talk about that, I said. And I remember this really long pause, silence, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, I wish I could have seen him, because I, I think he was kind of stunned because it, clearly, uh, in his mind, the, the whole thing was about um, smacking himself around and becoming the kind of person that he ought to be, you know. And this whole state of comparing and unworthiness and less than stuff was totally being missed. He had, he had not seen it or acknowledged it. That when these kinds of thoughts would come into his mind, he believed them. That I, I really am unworthy. <laughs> I really am not living my my life well enough. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you can relate. This is this is a blind spot. 
this is, there are states of mind operating that don't get seen, let alone challenged or questioned or um, uh, felt to see whether or not they're serving us, whether or not they're, uh, it, it, they have our own best interest in mind. <laughs> you know, it's, and the other bit that was going on with this, it was interesting as we talked about it, but here, this was a person that, um, in his life, who he, he was very close to and um, admired very much for some of the choices that she was making in her life. And he could not feel mudita for that because these patterns of turning it, of, of comparing, of going right to what it says about me <laughs> were so strong. Yeah? This is fascinating stuff. And, and they started to cry, you know. He said, wow, you know. I, I, I'm trying to be close to this person and I can't even wish her well because of these states, of uh, these self-absorbed states are so dominating my experience. It's quite powerful. It, it didn't occur to, to him that these two were mental states, <laughs> that these two were karmic patterns, that these two... It could be contemplated and reflected upon. So it's it's interesting to me to to see um, how some states uh, we, we're quite adept at seeing them with some objectivity. Some states are pretty easy to see. You can get outside of them, and, and you, you may not be able to break free of them, but you can you know you're in a state, and you can see it right. And, and some are not so. Some are quite difficult. You're just completely blindsided by them. And, and I find it, I just find it very helpful to just acknowledge that. Just to make that very matter of fact. This is the way it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't, you don't, don't, you don't, don't feel bad about the ones that are hard to see. Some are hard to see. Just hold that. Some are hard to see and some are easier to see. And, and uh, some are very entrenched and some are just superficial. And this is, this is why we have Dhamma friends. <laughs> you know, we, we, we help each other a lot with this kind of stuff. You know, through the years of practice, I don't know about you, but I certainly uh, hope I'm getting more and more skillful with that when somebody's states are hurting me. <laughs> you know, to be able to um, certainly have the agreement that we want to give each other that kind of feedback and to be able to, to say... Uh, I know you are somebody who probably who, who wants to hear this. Can I offer you some feedback? And we do this with each other. We do it in the most loving and uh, easy way that we can. So really, the, probably the, the first step or the most important part of working with states is just um, developing the capacity to know that we're in one. <laughs> And that, that could sound so uh, silly at one level, you know, it's so simple. Um, but it, it's huge, it's a mouthful. The identification with the mind, the identification with mental states is that great. The, 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 the capacity to stand outside, know mental events as mental events and not self, it's, it takes some practice. It takes some training, doesn't it? You know, personally, I, I've, I've, always, I've always thought, come to see that 
This third foundation of mindfulness, the capacity to see mind as mind, mental states as mental states, is very mature practice. <laughs> it, it doesn't come, you, you, you don't do it the first time out of the gate. Uh, and it, it develops over, over years of, of practice. So, but consider what the Buddha is pointing to here. You know, in the unawakened state, it's as if we don't have any options. You know, it's, it's kind of like what, you, what you've done, the way that you've been, is the way that you're always going to be. <laughs> there's a pattern, there's a habit, we're locked into it, it's compulsive, it's compulsion, uh, it's probably neurotic as hell, <laughs> and, and there it is, and you, you, you just have to go with it. <laughs> That's who we are. We're, we're kind of uh, stuck in it. But with the practice, we start to move outside of it. And I remember one of, the, one of the times when I was really seeing this for myself. I, I used to um, live with a gal who had a dog, and... Uh, I loved this dog. She was so great. <laughs> she was uh, neurotic as hell, compulsive as hell, you know, and just very reactive. It didn't, it, whatever was going on, she was, her behaviors were very predictable. For example, with a, sl- a fly would start snipping and going around her head, she'd go, you know, just start snipping at it, you know. Or there would be this certain sound of the letter carrier coming up the walk. And right when it hit a certain place, it was, you know, running up to the front of the door, slamming on the door, running back to me to see if I'm okay, running up to see, you know, what the, what's going on in the front yard. And then the garbage collector would come, and it'd be going out the back door, running, running back in to see if I'm okay, run back out, you know, just barking, barking, going crazy, spinning, chasing her tail, all this kind of stuff. Or if I, if I put um, food in her bowl, she had a bowl that um, had little rings on the side, and so that if I, I got into the habit of plopping food down from high heights, because when it went in, then the bell, the, the bowl would go like a bell, you know, and it'd go ding, 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 you know, and she could be way the heck out in the back of the yard, and she'd hear that thing and come running in, you know, and I would just laugh and laugh. Sometimes I'd just put food in her bowl just to see her do it, you know, <laughs> to see her go crazy like this, and, and, and I would just stand back and howl. I just loved watching her, and, and then I'd be saying things in my mind like, oh, you're so neurotic, you're so compulsive, you're so crazy, look at you, you silly thing, ha, ah. you know. <laughs> and then one time I was watching her and it hit me, I said, that's what I do. <laughs> I'm the same way. It's stimulus response, stimulus response. And this happens and this state comes up, you know, and I don't, I don't have the uh, objectivity. To, to get a wedge in there, you know? It, it, was, it was great. It was great just to see that, that, that that's, that's what I'm doing. And we're, we're bound in these states. We're bound in our karmic states as long as we don't see them. As such, you know, like this guy who kept comparing and didn't see it. Or Sasha, you know, just neurotic as heck. We just become it. <laughs> So that, that with each passing moment, when, there's, when there isn't any objectivity in relation to our mind states, then, then we become them more and more. And what you, what you can observe in, in, in practice, or usually in hindsight, is that you, you're going stay in, you stay in that state until the mind picks up on something else. 
it latches onto something else and hangs out there for a while. It just gets tired of that state and then picks up something else and hangs out there for a while. You know, it, it, it's, that's the way it is. And it's almost like you can live, we can live our whole lives blindly, just caught in one mood or mind state after another and never really uh, have uh, any, any sense of being here fully awake, knowing what's happening in a decidedly different relationship with the body and mind. And this is what the Buddha is pointing to. He's just trying to get us here because this state of being persistently, consistently caught up is a suffering state. So we, we want to see that. We want to know that. And, and, and it's really helpful to reflect upon um, and, and just understand that actually the practice that we're engaged in, we're so fortunate, is, is affecting this kind of reorientation of the mind over time, whether we realize it or not. You don't even have to know that that's what's happening. You know, whether we realize it or not, our, our practice is, is cultivating this capacity to relate more and more objectively to what's going on um, in the body and mind, to, to things that are, uh, up until that point, uh, something so, so seemingly personal and intimate as this body and mind. This is who I am until I learn to uh, see it in a different way. So this is what the four foundations are, are all about. And, and uh, you know, I've just learned over the years not to discount the, the power of something as simple as sitting here and being uh, aware of the body as it breathes <laughs> over and over and over again. That, that, that the Buddha calls that a training. And it, it's, a, it's a training. Perhaps we, we, learn, we sort of uh, define that training to ourselves differently as the years go by. Because initially, I don't know about you, but I used to think it was about getting good at watching the breath, you know, and 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 that that's what that's what I was trying to become proficient at. But uh, over the years of practice, what you begin to see is that that really what we're doing is to developing the capacity to know the body, to know what's happening with the body, and uh, to in this case, the breath, and, and just to, to uh, leave it at that so that what's being affected over time is that we're becoming more proficient at living in the knowing, not in what is known. You know, up until that point, you know, the, the, what is known, the object, dominates. <laughs> And then to, to me, it's sort of like the, the, the practice over the years affects this sort of shifting of the screens, you know. For a while, the object is dominating. And the knowing is kind of like the booth in the back in the corner in the dark, you know. That every vaguely, every now and then, you sort of rest in that. But the, the, what is known is, is the, 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 clearly the predominant feature. But that, that shifts over time. That's what this practice is affecting. And, and as I said, whether we know it or not, that's what's going on. We're, we're developing a new, uh, more objective, not subjective, <laughs> orientation to, 
towards the, the body and mind and developing a completely different relationship, as I said, with something as intimate and seemingly personal as this <laughs> and this. <laughs> How is that possible? But it's fascinating. This is what the, the Buddha is trying to, to get us to. So o- over time, uh, this results in an ever-growing uh, capacity just to see the body as body, feelings as feelings, and mental states, mind as mind. To see that uh, for what it is. And as I said, I think this it has to be said, that bit of it, that last little bit of it, <laughs> I think, is very mature practice. So don't, don't expect... Uh, you know, to pass with flying colors uh, when we first get started. Little by little, you you become increasingly proficient and able to see, actually see mind states forming and uh, even see the mind leaning into them and see, even feel what it feels like uh, in that leaning and not have them dominate our experience. It's like, oh man... What a blessing. <laughs> you can actually know aversion and not be averse. You can actually know restlessness and not be in that anxious, agitated state. It's not that it's not there. It's not that there's not um, uh, underpinnings of it. But uh, the relationship is very different. It's, it's not who you are in these moments. You know, restlessness is a biggie. You know, I remember one time, um, one, I think it might have been my first uh, three-month retreat where um, I first really began to see that. I mean, my, my own particular um, uh, collection of formations is such that I've had a, a lot of struggles with ne- neurotic behaviors, restless, agitated, anxious behaviors. They, they were really the way that I was for uh, much of my life. And, and so on this retreat, um, you know, it's no accident, uh, uh, it's certainly understandable that uh, my first uh, long meditation retreat, I spent a lot of it in this state. And, and, but I began to notice as I practiced, you know, how much of the time throughout the day I was um, sort of leaning into the next thing. You know, I might be walking down a hallway, for example, and I could get the sense that, well, my body's here. This body is walking down the hallway. But in my mind, I was on to the next thing. And you ever heard that feeling? Where you, just, you can feel that, the pull. It's like, it's like the, the whole system is being led by the head, you know. And one time I had this image where the whole, my head was this huge, enormous thing, you know, and, and underneath it were these little appendages that were my feet and my hands, you know. It's like the head was all that was, there was, you know, just leaning and leading uh, the, whole, the whole organism. And then I began to notice that um, when, uh, say, I was sitting and the bell rang, I would, like, jump up. And uh, to get to the, to the walking path, you know, to get to my walking path. And then if I was walking and the bell rang, I would stop immediately in the middle of the path and go back to the sitting, you know. I mean, some of it was I was just very dutiful, you know. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do, the bell rang, go, you know. But, but some of it was just this agitation, this restless uh, state, state of mind. 
And over, over the months of watching it, you know, I, I began to realize that, you know, it's not like I loved the walking so much that I couldn't wait to get there, you know. <laughs> and it's not like when I was walking, I, I, I loved the sitting so much that I couldn't wait to get there, you know. There was, this, was, this was something else going on here. And, and, and for the first time probably in my life, you know, it's as if the mind turned around and looked at it. And, and I, I'll never forget it. I stopped dead in my tracks at one point. I said, oh, this is restlessness. <laughs> this is what he's talking about. This is, this is the state of restless agitation. You're in it. <laughs> and, and I was so happy <laughs> to, to know that for the first time, you know. You probably, I'm sure you've, you've felt this at times. It, it, suddenly, uh, this state that had been a dominant state of my being was now an object. It's a very different experience. <laughs> very, very different. Don't you love that? It's a very different, big shift that happens, and uh, a, a very happy one as well. So after working with this uh, for for many years, um, and as I'm sure you know, you 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 have yours as well. It, it just you begin to see that you, you maybe you're not always outside of it, but that capacity to know these states gets stronger and stronger and stronger, doesn't it? And that becomes the dominant feature of the experience, not the state. That shift. Is, is taking place, and it, it's very, very powerful. There's, there's great, we have to know that there's great value in um, being aware that this shift is taking place. So again, the third foundation of mindfulness has to do with knowing um, mind states. That's just that much, knowing that this is what's going on. And, and, and it's critical, because it, it represents a huge transition and it repositions the whole system in a way, particularly the mind in a way, to um, uh, be able to discern the experience of being in that mind state and whether or not the experience of that is serving us. Up until that, you, you don't know that. You just didn't, it, you know? But, but the, the mind is, is going to work now, and it's discerning. You know, I don't, I don't think I like aversion. <laughs> this isn't, I don't like this state. I don't like it when I overeat. I don't like when I'm just always judging and criticizing people. I mean, you, know, it may not actually, you may not actually be saying that to yourself. But the... Um, Knowing of it, the knowing of the experience, is um, direct knowledge <laughs> that it, the experience of being in that state is going in the system, believe me. And that's the thing that's beginning to um, um, up, not only um, uproot the grasping of the state, but ultimately uproot the state itself. <laughs> you know, the, the mind just learns uh, in a way, it's just such a blessing to be a human being because it has this capacity to, to learn and to sort out. It, it, you, you use the system of pleasure and pain to the, in the advantage, to the, um, uh, in, in the direction of freedom. 
So if it's, a, if it's painful to be in a state, the mind goes like this, I don't want to go there. <laughs> if it's pleasant to be in a state, it will start to go there. But that this whole pleasure-pain principle has been lifted to a much higher order of magnitude. It's not caught in the sense plane, sensory experience anymore. It's, it's being elevated to this level of unworldly pleasure and pain. So it's beautiful stuff. You know, the, uh, I, I just love contemplating the, the fact that it's all right there. <laughs> you know, we're kind of hardwired to get this. It's just a matter, almost a matter of just putting in the time. The mind begins to get it. But we have to be outside of mind states enough to, to know, oh, that's, that's restlessness, that's aversion, that's greed. I've noticed over the years, too, that even this capacity, it goes through stages. You know, initially, you may find that you can know that you're in a state and you can stay out of it for a few seconds, but then you go back in. (laughs) And you come out again, you know it, then you go back in. And this kind of play will happen. And But uh, I I found that we need to really be... uh, uh, happy with that. That's good. <laughs> you know, that's way better than being totally lost, and and being content that that's a, that, that something's shifting. It's moving. That the practice is working. You're able to step outside of it a lot, and don't worry about trying to do it more. You know, our, our capacity really to let go just develops gradually over time, in its own time, in its own way as we begin to see and feel the direct experience of grasping mental states. <laughs> the mind's not stupid. <laughs> it gets it. It just, that's, it, just, it just has to see it. It just has to be there for the experience. And it, it has to be said, this is uh, that... Um, even if we do know the mind state that has, has arisen, you, you, there's times when you cannot get any footing in relation to it. And we really have to know this. One time, Ajahn Suchita, who's my, my teacher, uh, he, he said this, he, he said, um, sometimes even mindfulness is no match for a full-blown mental hindrance. <laughs> and you have to know that. <laughs> And there was, a, there was a way that I would, ah, you know, it was a huge relief just to hear that. This is strong stuff, and we have to have a healthy respect for it. So a lot of the time, uh, what you're going to find is that the best that you can do is just wait it out. And waiting it out is good, because uh, what's going on in that is one is developing these beautiful states of uh, kindness and forbearance, and patience, uh, you know, a certain uh, honesty and uh, compassion, and, and, and no small dose of equanimity. You, you know, just okay, it's there. Don't worry about it. It's there. <laughs> you, you just kind of uh, endure and, and wait it out until it moves. Um, this is one of the ways, too, uh, I think, that we get insight into impermanence. You're not pushing, demanding that states 
leave, uh, but just hang in there while they're there, you'll, you'll see them go. <laughs> they all do. You know, most of them, unless we're grasping at some level, I've, I've seen they just seem to have a, 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 about a three-second lifespan. You know, something is pulling it in if that's, if that's not the case. So, you know, even, even this is a lot. We're, we're less and less identified. And you really want to be happy with that, that development if that's what's going on in your practice. Because the next time it comes around, we'll be even more detached. We'll be even more objective in relation to it because this time we didn't indulge it and we didn't hate it. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the grasping that takes the form of getting lost in it or resisting it that keeps it all coming back. Ajahn Chah used to say, if you hate it just a little bit, <laughs> you're guaranteeing its return. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so just, just one more little bit that, that might be helpful on this topic. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is that, that mind states are not always just clean and simple uh, sort of uh, uni, uni states, you know, like, what, like they, they, they tend to be uh, complex. They tend to be, what I, like they, they arise in clusters sometimes, or what, what I call constellations. I, I see these constellations of moods and mind states, and it's very uh, difficult to, to, to just say very simply and cleanly, oh, I'm averse. You know, because there's there's a lot more going on uh, in in that particular state. So um, you know, it, it's it's a tangled web, and we have to be willing uh, in this kind of situation to just kind of hone in on the bit of it that is um, the most obvious aspect of it, or the most dominant aspect of it, and and be willing to stay with that, and uh, just become aware uh, through an ever um, uh, deepening knowing and, and willingness to stay with it, becoming aware of the what, what I call peeling the onion. <laughs> you know, there's different layers in a in a mood or a mind state, and uh, sometimes the first one will hit you, but if you stay with it, you'll go deeper and deeper uh, into it. And um, this is where you know this this is what we often call uh, some aspect of investigating states. And it's very important to understand that an investigation of mental states is not a cerebral endeavor. It's a, it's a profoundly experiential endeavor. So when, when we say investigate, we're not like uh, analyzing. We're trying to get a, a direct experience of the state. And almost like, like a, if you can get, make complete and full contact with it, it will tell you what it is. <laughs> you know, it, it, if the thinking mind gets too engaged, it, at least I've seen in my own mind, the tendency is great to think we know what it is. And, and we may not. We don't. A lot of times when I've looked into states that I thought were something difficult and horrible, the, the, the thing that was driving it was something beautiful. And, and I, I couldn't see I wouldn't have seen that if I just accepted the first and superficial sense of what it was. 
You know, so uh, rather I want to be able to, to stay with it. And then the, the Buddha has, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, angles uh, in the teachings where the Buddha sort of gives us a little heads up on, on the capacities of the mind to do this. Like, like when he talks about vitaka and vichara, this is, these, are, these are functions of the mind, capacities of the mind to know what's happening and to be, to, peru- to be sensitized to what it is. This is a, as I said, it's, this is a deeply uh, experiential thing. <laughs> this is not thinking about it. This is feeling it. You know, Ajahn Satito calls this, calls uh, vichara handling it. <laughs> it's like, oh, this, I know, I know, the, I know I'm in a state, and I gotta kinda handle it a little bit, just to, or just be willing to, to stay there and hold myself in that, so I can until I can get a get a sense of it, and, and both of these will happen when there's a direct connection. They they get very strong. You know, if you just have vitaka, you're just naming things all the time, but you have no idea of how they feel. <laughs> you know, they, they they have to work together. So it's not thinking about the experience, but being in it so fully that there's just there's just no mistaking what it is. <laughs> And sometimes it, you might not even have a name for it. It's this. It's like, you know, that's it. And, and uh, that direct um, contact with it um, makes the impression that we need to have to, to discern if it's serving us or not. So this is tricky stuff, and it's, it's fun, uh, fun to work with, but you don't necessarily want to um, I, I tend to kind of do this kind of investigation when something is very strong or very persistent or um, a, a very complex state and I can't get a handle on it. So it's not something you're walking around doing all the time. But just to give you a, a, a brief example, you know, one time when I was at the monastery, standing in the kitchen and uh, talking with one of the senior monks and uh, we got a little, into a little altercation. <laughs> you know, there was something that I was asking him for that had to do with um, uh, letting the abbot know that I was there so that uh, we could meet. He was expecting me. And he said, just let me know when you get there. And this particular uh, monk was being very protective of the abbot's space <laughs> and had no knowledge of this arrangement that I had with the abbot, but that didn't matter. <laughs> You know, to me at the time, because I, I just wanted to let him know I was there, and um, this monk wouldn't tell him. You know, and 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 I, you know, I could feel myself just tightening and cringing inside, and I managed to hold myself together because one doesn't want to smack a monk around, you know, <laughs> and just stand, you know, let let the state arise. But then um, when I left, oh, it was, just, it was huge. It was just very, very painful. I started to cry and cry and cry uncontrollably. And, and it, this is the kind of stuff that gets, you, gets my attention. It's like, whoa, what just happened? What is this? It's way out of proportion to this exchange. I, I, I hit a nerve of some mood, some mind state that was totally outside the realm of my conscious awareness. And I asked one of the nuns to help me and uh, sort through it a little bit. 
But what, what I was able to see, this was one of those peeling the onions moments, you know. And when I, I took it to the cushion, I sat with it, it only took about 20 minutes, but the, the, the first layer was clearly this, you know. <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> I've been coming to this monastery for 25 years. You're just a little nothing to me, you know, and, and, and I, I, I've got to deal with this, and, and, and you can't treat me like this, and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and lots of times what happens is we'll, we'll stop there. Like I, I, could, I, could, I knew there was some self-righteous indignation, but um, if, you don't, if you just stop there, then you walk away either feeling bad because you're in it or feeling justified in it or uh, maybe even letting it go and not looking further to see what's, what's underneath all of that. What, what's that all about? So I stayed with it a little bit and it was like, yeah, 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 you really, he, that really wasn't very nice. And yeah, that, that really did hurt, <laughs> you know. Just acknowledge all that. We're not saying none of that is true, you know, but, to, but to, and allow yourself to feel that. Well, what, what, else, is, what else is going on here? You know, can, you, can you open to it? Can you feel it? And um, I, I became aware of this very deep fear of not having access to the teacher. You know, that, 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 that sense of... And I started to cry even deeper. Like, oh my God, this is hard. Practice is hard. <laughs> Where am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What's going to happen if I can't ask somebody for help? You know, if the, if the help isn't there, what will become of me? I'll never get free. <laughs> you know, just crying and, and crying with that level. This is real. This is this is what. Who knew? This is what was in there. You know, the tremendous fear of not having access to help. And then, but in that, in this way that I, you know, you sort of know. I said, well, that's, I haven't hit the bottom yet. <laughs> There's something else in here. You know, and and as I as I stayed with the the feeling, uh, I, I went to an even deeper terror. And, and that terror was uh, one of having to do it myself. A, a kind of a, uh, a terror of stepping into my own shoes. And it's not that we don't need teachers. It's not that we all don't need help. But there's a, there was a subtle defilement in me that kept relying on it and turning to something outside. You know this this feeling. So instead of instead of uh, acknowledging and being confident that there was the capacity in this human being to know it, we, we, we I had to go there. I had to go there. And as I said, I don't want to make the mistake of implying that we don't need teachers. We do, but there's a way that we rely so heavily on them that we're short circuiting our own capacities. We're not looking and acknowledging that um, really when all is said and done, we, we all have to do what the Buddha did. <laughs> sit with that one for a while. <laughs> we, we, have to have, um, we have to experience that level of letting go, that level of relinquishment. We, we all have to experience that level of uh, conviction 
and profound knowing, you know, for ourselves. And, and for me, this may, I'm not saying this will do this for you, but for me that struck terror in my heart. <laughs> you know, we all, I, I'm quite confident that we're all going to have the experience of pro- proclaiming and shouting that victory cry of the Arhant someday, <laughs> you know. Done is what had to be done. <laughs> there is no more clinging. The holy life has been lived, that kind of thing. We're all going to do that. And we all want that. But we, we have to know, we have to be really clear um, what we're committing ourselves to and what it's going to take. And I don't know, it, it just uh, it implies in me a kind of a... Uh, it, it touches in me a place where I just, I just want to stand tall in that. You know, just throw my shoulders back, lift my chest up. <laughs> you know, and, and just... Uh, Kind of acknowledge that I, I don't. I, I don't care what it takes. I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul, <laughs> even if it means standing alone and being alone, and um, having to uh, do it completely alone. This is. This can be very powerful. So even with all of this, you know, one wants to hold it lightly. <laughs> you know, whether, whether we're just knowing that we're in a state or just trying to get a fix on what it is or uh, sorting through the many layers that make up these constellations of states, we want to be able to hold that experience lightly. And, and uh, as, you, as you might imagine, or perhaps you, you've seen for yourself in your in your own practice, um, this over the long haul is going to require a tremendous amount of kindness in the heart, tremendous amount of compassion, tremendous amount of, of equanimity. We, we have to free ourselves of any views that we have about the way that we are, or the way that we think we ought to be. I don't know about you, but that, I find that I've found that very hard. <laughs> that that tendency to get, it is so great to get in there and um, evaluate. But trying to just drop that and be with the states themselves and not have a view about them. This is this is what the state is. What's it like? What's it doing? How's it working for you? <laughs> Is it something that you're going to stay, stick with? Is it something that we're going to overcome? So it may not be the case that we uproot states in the short term. You know, I've, I've found it to be much more the case that over the years of practice, what we tend to do is just kind of coexist with them. <laughs> and and, and the, you, 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 you outlive them, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> They, they die a natural death. So the, the, the patterns in the short term might be still there, but what changes over time is that we don't indulge them, we don't resist, we don't hate. That right there is huge. It's very nice. You just learn to love, love your karma. <laughs> Warts and all. <laughs> so you're this way. Can that be okay? 
this state is a strong one in you. Can that be okay? Because it doesn't matter what the state is. What matters is are you seeing it and um, feeling it and discerning from within it whether or not it's useful. Okay, so I hope some of this is useful. So we sit for just a minute and then we'll have a chant together. So let's close with the sharing of blessings and chant together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.